Sometimes all you have to do to pray for somebody's healing is just to say, Jonathan, Jesus heals you. Just put your hand on them. Just speak healing to them. Just say, Laura, Jesus heals you. You don't have to get all... That was a great insight. But um, remember we found out that there was this guy named, uh, at Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a, centur- a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who, was, who feared God. And, what, and with all his household who feared God, they gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So we learned uh, then that, that Cornelius was what was known as a God-fearer. He loved the idea of loving God. He loved, he loved the idea of a loving God, um, but he, he never converted to Judaism because there were too many rules and too many restrictions, and it was um, a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation and a lot of performance and a lot of do better, try harder. Um, and some of it was very shocking and difficult for a a Roman soldier to do so he but he loved loving God and he loved the idea of a loving God uh, he just didn't want to convert because of things the, the rules were too oppressive okay so that was then uh, while he was having his vision and visitation from the angels this was going on um, back where Peter was so I'm just going to read this on the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, and by that, he mean, they, when he means they, he's talking about people that Cornelius had sent to fetch Peter because God had told him to go get Peter and bring him back to where he was at Caesarea Maritima. Uh, Peter was in Joppa. On the next day, as these people from Cornelius were on their way and approaching Joppa, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he was feeling a little peckish. He became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were downstairs making preparations, he fell into a trance. I think it's interesting that they used that word. He was just slain in the spirit. The Holy Spirit just visited him. He was slain in the spirit. He went out in the spirit. Uh, just got translated here, trance. Uh, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, I beg your pardon. I don't think so. By no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And then immediately the object was taken away into the sky. So this thing happened three times, and I guess that means that Peter argued with God three times, which wouldn't be surprising at all for Peter to argue with God three times. And God, he shows him this blanket full of lots of stuff. Some of it was possibly okay for him to eat. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it says everything was on there. Um, so 
we don't have a clear definition, but there must have been plenty of things on there that Jewish people can't eat, like ham, um, and you can't eat shellfish, right? Can't eat shrimp. Uh, uh, you can't eat rabbits. Uh, can't eat catfish. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things. And, and now, now, understand, Peter wasn't a Pharisee. Peter wasn't one of those guys who was just super strict and his whole identity was caught up in the law. And of course, now he's under grace in Jesus anyhow. But he was a good Jew. He was raised in a culture that said, no, you don't. You couldn't just walk into a restaurant in downtown Jerusalem and order fried shrimp. Or it was not going to be on the menu. Or a ham and cheese sandwich. It's not going to be, I mean... That's not a part of his culture. Uh, he had been taught very strictly what you can eat and what you couldn't eat. And this vision from God was right there. And God said, God was saying, come on, come on, Peter, come and eat this. And Peter assumed it was a trick. He assumed that God was tricking him or tempting him to try to, to, uh, to violate long-held cultural, spiritual traditions. No way, God. No way am I ever. You're, I see what you're doing there, God. Nope, not me. I'm not going to eat that stuff. So do I pass? Boom, it comes down again. Wait, God, um, did I not pass? I promise you, I promise you, I will never, I will never eat this stuff. Um, boom, it happened again. And finally, apparently, finally, the voice of the Lord said, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And Peter's going like, are you sure about this? Uh, We've got like a thousand years worth of cultural spiritual history invested in are you I gotta sit down I don't I don't get it I don't understand God what are you what are you are you saying we need to run around and start eating all sorts of crazy stuff um do you want me to open a red lobster what is it that you're I don't I don't understand God oh okay okay so, stranger things, while this was going on, and while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, right, perplexed in mind, that's probably a delicate way of putting it, while Peter was freaking out on the roof, trying to decide whether to jump, not sure what's going to happen next, behold... The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, good for them. Because ladies, we know what are men terrible at doing. Men are terrible at asking directions. But they asked, Joppa wasn't even that big a town. But they asked for directions and they got uh, to Simon's house probably an hour earlier than they would have if they had just wandered around. Um, they, asked, they appeared at the gate and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. 
They're at the gate. You know, there's a, houses in those days wouldn't be unusual for them to have a, a wall and a courtyard. They just come through a little gate and there was an outside courtyard because you spend half your time outside barbecuing and hanging out and um, pitching washers and whatever it is that they did. There was, um, so they had to actually holler into the house. Hey, is there a guy named Simon here? I mean, Simon... Um, also called Peter, that's right. Is there a guy... Because see, here's the trick. There's two Simons in this house. Remember from last week? There are two Simons. We don't want the, we don't want the plain Simon. We want the, same, we want the Simon that's also called Peter. Is there a guy named Simon who's also called Peter? Undercover from somewhere, also goes by the name of Peter. (coughs) And is he staying here? And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Holy Spirit said, (coughs) Peter, (coughs) Peter, I want you to get up. I want you to go downstairs. I want you to go with these guys. There are three guys they are looking for you. Don't freak out. I have sent them myself. That's, y'all, that's pretty clear, all right? That's like three guys, they're looking for you. I want you to go with them. I don't want you to be worried. Don't freak out. I sent them. I, I sent them. I know that you're going to have some misgivings about this, but I sent them and I want you to go with them. You don't know them, but I do. I have a plan here. Just don't freak out. So Peter went down to the men and said, Sup. Behold, I'm the one, it's me, I'm the one you're looking for. What's going on? What's this all about? And they said... Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Peter said, Okay. All right, I, if you say so. Um, so y'all come in. Y'all come on in, and uh, we're not going to Caesarea Maritima tonight, so y'all are going to spend the night here. Uh, this is all mind-blowing. So, so, so here's what they told him. They said, uh, a centurion named Caesarea... I mean, a centurion named Cornelius from Caesarea uh, had a vision, and he sent us, and you're going to come and talk to us. Now, what did, what did Peter hear? A Roman, a Gentile, sent a bunch of Gentiles to this house because God told him to do it. And this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. And now I've got to do something. God told me to do it. And I don't know if I can do this or not. But let's take baby steps. I think I'll 
have these guys come in and spend the night? When's the last time you think Peter ever invited a bunch of Gentiles to come in and spend the night? Never. So, baby steps, baby steps. Um, He brings these guys in. But this is getting crazier and crazier. We We have to understand some things here about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Jewish law and traditions made it clear that Jews and Gentiles were not to associate with each other. Not, not at all, not ever, not under any circumstances. Uh, now, it wasn't uh, especially no socializing. No, hey, uh, Cornelius, why don't you bring the kids over and we'll fill up the, the uh, above-ground pool and we'll barbecue some... Uh, hot dogs and um and i got the pork loin on and we'll we'll just hang out for a while no 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 socializing and absolutely no intermarriage jews did not have contact if it was i mean if you had too much contact with gentiles then you had to go through ritual cleansing before you could go into the temple that you weren't supposed to have anything to do with gentiles gentiles were considered to be idolaters and enemies Bad enough that, Jew, that Gentiles worshipped idols. But throughout the history of Israel, it was always Gentiles who came to conquer them, um, imprison them, enslave them, burn down their villages. I mean, whenever you had Gentiles in the neighborhood, that was bad news. There were lots of reasons why personally I don't want to have any Gentiles in my house because you never know where you're going to stab them in the back. Uh, now, Gentiles could be useful. You are allowed to have certain types of business interactions with Gentiles, uh, but, but you don't want to get too close to them because it was absolutely slam dunk, settled. It was settled in Jewish law. Gentiles are going to hell. Go to hell. Go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You are, Gentiles are going to hell. And you don't want, they're unholy. They're unclean. You can't get around them at all. Ever That was like uh, cultural rule number one if you were a Jew. It also didn't, didn't make you very popular with Gentiles. Uh, and you know what? Um, then the Jews in Judea actually had some special dispensations by, by the Roman emperors because... They, they allow the Jews to kind of have their own a buffer of, of rulers between them and uh, like uh, the Roman governor because no, none of the, the Romans could stand dealing with the Jews because the Jews had this terrible attitude uh, and it just drove them crazy. So they tried, the Gentiles tried not to mix up too much of the Jews anyhow because the Jews are just um, the most disagreeable, um, unhospitable, difficult people to get along with in the whole wide world. So up until now, Peter was comfortable with this wall between him and Gentiles. Don't. It had never even occurred to him 
that the gospel was really for anybody except the Jews. Now, Jews could convert. I mean, I mean Gentiles could convert, and then you could have, hear the gospel. Um, but it never occurred to him that they were supposed to be reaching out to anybody except people who had some sort of a Jewish foundation or a Jewish background. Uh, and now God is confronting him with um, a very mind-blowing situation that had never, it had never entered his mind at all that becoming a Christian or taking Jesus as his Lord and Savior was going to require this. I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to read you a long passage from Ephesians, but I'll, I'll read it fast. Uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you, because the Gentiles in the flesh, because the people at Ephesus that Paul is writing to were mostly Gentiles, they had become Christians. This is a long, t- this is fast forward 30 years from what's happening in Acts. Uh, remember that you, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that is the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's the big takeaway. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that he himself might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death that enmity Woo-hoo! victory But that's just a long way of saying, you remember, Gentiles? You used to be separated by this giant wall. All of these rules, all these regulations, this issue of circumcision being one of the main ones, you were separated. You could not be connected to God like the Jews were connected to God because of this giant barrier. Now what we have taking place here with Peter is God's first specific intentional command given through given to Peter Mr. Peter tear down that wall Peter has no idea what's going to happen next He's just thinking that he may be stepping into his worst nightmare. But he knows when he's heard the voice of God. I promise you he is not happy about this. We're going to see next week that there's just, he's still a little bit shaky about this. But God said to do it. And on no other strength but God saying, I need you to do this. Trust me. It's going to be okay. He was willing to do it. Yes? It is? Boy, 
it is absolutely changed the way you think. But in that moment, <laughs> so uh, at this moment, we're, we're not to Ephesians chapter 2 yet. We are, uh, the breakthrough hadn't happened yet. Gentiles were still unclean. Jews didn't associate with them, much less invite them in for a sleepover. This was just completely nutsoid. And God was asking Peter to violate a thousand years of Jewish law and tradition, not and risk, oh, risk being condemned and ostracized by the rest of the disciples at home, by his closest friends, to take the risk of being corrupted by associating with Gentiles. This was an early moment of truth, not only for Peter, but for the whole church. When, when God was clearly pushing Peter beyond his comfort zone. And I was struggling, kind of thinking, all right, what's a context we could put this in for the 21st century conservative evangelical tongue-talking believers in Central Texas? And th- y'all, this just goes, this transcends any challenge you've ever faced by just having to go to Lano occasionally. This is, this is, a, this is huge. This is, this is, this is sh- honestly shocking for Peter. And so I'm thinking, what, so what would that be like in 21st century terms for Christians in our camp? And let's put this in context again. Suppose you get invited to speak at a gay pride day parade. How do you feel? What do you do? Um, let, me t- let me tell you something. I, mean, uh, I think most of us have... We've moved to a place where we understand that Jesus loves everybody, right? Jesus loves everybody. Jesus died, Christ died on the cross for everybody. That's uh, Democrats and Republicans and, uh, and African Americans and Anglos and Hispanics and uh, straights and gays. Jesus died for everybody. God died. Jesus loved the whole world and he died for everybody. Um, of course, you've got those... Uh, we, could, we could talk for a long time about all the, the, the problems that Christians have created for themselves in, in relating to the, to the gay community. But here's something that, that you might... No, you might, or not no. You might have heard of it, but you don't believe it. There are plenty of, of gay and lesbian people who are trying to have a relationship with Jesus. They were raised in Christian homes. They were raised going to church. They were raised loving um, the Lord. They were raised loving singing the hymns. They were raised uh, earnestly believing that having a relationship with God is an important part of their lives and also struggling with this other thing. And while I don't want you to ever get the impression that what I'm suggesting in this message today is that um, I'm endorsing 
um, homosexual behavior because unfortunately you have this pretty big body of evidence in the scriptures that uh, God does not sanction homosexual behavior. You've got a group of people who are the only reasons that they are bitter towards the church is because they believe the church is bitter towards them. Um, and if you were invited or if you had a word from God that said, I want you to go to a big gay pride rally and I want you to just lovingly minister the truth of the gospel to them. I, I understand there's a difference here because in, this con- in the context of the book of Acts, um, Cornelius, his heart was primed to receive good news. Um, but the only thing that was keeping Cornelius from becoming a Jew was all the rules and res- regulations, including circumcision. God was about to reveal to him something new um, that was going to open up the whole uh, door wide to Gentiles coming into the church. Um, and, and in 20th century, 21st century terms, what we've got here is reaching out as Christians to a group of people whose hearts are hardened towards most Christians because they believe, they believe that they don't want to hear our gospel because our gospel is hateful, feels hateful towards them, which actually makes it more complicated. If you're invited to go speak at a, at a gay pride rally um, and God says, don't worry about this. This, this is for me. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's two gay guys and a transvestite downstairs and they've come to invite you to come and speak to them and, um, and that's okay because I've sent them. How do you react to that? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with God being okay with that? Are you okay with God? Are you, um, what's going on here? Have you just changed? Have you just ripped out the first chapter of the book of Romans? Um, God, what are you doing here? What am I going to be doing there? So mostly I'm I'm just trying to give you the sense of how shocking it would be for Peter to get this invitation to go and speak to Gentiles. It wouldn't be, that's the only thing I can compare it to. The the same shock, the same repugnance, the same fear would likely to be this. Um, How do you feel? What do you do? Can you trust God for that? Um... So that's just one scenario. There can be a lot of other scenarios. Um, Maybe you just hear from God that he needs you to go and talk to somebody who's offended and rejected you and is involved in stuff that you would never in a million years want to be caught dead doing or associating with. Um, Maybe it's God sending you to minister to somebody whose politics scares you and upsets you. And you can't You can't imagine how somebody with that kind of politics, that kind of political position, could even be a Christian. But God wants you to befriend them and try to minister to them. Or uh, someone whose lifestyle scares you and upsets you. Maybe it's not, we're not talking about um, homosexuality, but maybe something else. 
Or maybe someone who scares you, lifestyle scares you and upsets you and their view of Christians is hostile and they don't even want to talk to you. But God says, I'm sending you, don't, don't worry. I'm sending you to minister to them. Um, or some other awkward situation. That's really what I want you to understand here. This was, I don't think Peter got much sleep that night. I don't. Th- I mean, it was only the fact that he trusted Jesus that he was willing to go to Cornelius' house. But here we are in the 21st century and we continue to label and we put people in boxes. Either I like them or I don't like them. Either I agree with them or I don't agree with them. Either they like me or they don't like me. Um, either I care about them or I don't care about them. Um, either I, they're either safe or dangerous. We put all these labels on people. And, and we, when we draw these little fences to try to keep ourselves safe, at other people's expense. This just happens to be Gentiles. My pictures just happen to be of homosexuals. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. God loved the whole world so much that he gave his life for people whose lifestyle offends you, people whose politics offend you, for people whose, who, for people who are offended by you and by your presence. He died for people that make you nervous. He died for people that make you mad. He died for people that in a million years, you wouldn't go across the street to spit on them if they were on fire. And every once in a while, he puts you in a trance and he gives you a vision. And he says, I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you to them not to condemn them but to share truth with them about my love and what I've done for them. Acts chapter 1 when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gay Pride Day rally in Austin, Texas on Congress Avenue. And you will tell your story with miraculous results. As for the whole gay issue thing, we, we think we're safe in, from having to deal with it too much in Grant Shoals, Texas, but we're not. And God's already given us the directions to go anywhere, go everywhere, and tell people how much Jesus loves them. Not argue with them. Not um, put a stamp of approval on their behavior, but to just love them the way Jesus would love them. A whole bunch of people at Caesarea Maritima needed to hear the gospel. In order for that to happen, Peter had to initially hold his nose and close his eyes and, and, until he got there and 
trust God to do something that he never in a million years dreamed he would ever be doing. That's my point. And never in a million years would you have dreamed that from here on out you're going to be doing things that you never thought you'd be doing in order to minister to people that you never thought you would have to acknowledge that they existed. It could happen. Um, Just saying be ready, that's all. Just saying be ready. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know there are people right now that need to know they're deeply loved by God, that they're fully accepted by God, completely permanently forgiven by God, lavished by you, eternally perfectly embraced by you as your child. Some of them think they're there. Some of them think they could never be there. They don't think that you want them. So many things that you've made available in Jesus, Lord. Just give us the courage to open our mouths and speak the truth in love so that no matter how we feel about who they are or what they've done or what they're doing, they can at least have the chance to hear the truth about how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.